Right, well, as Pete said, it's a little bit different this morning. Um, And it's definitely going to be more of a kind of just reflective time where we just quietly enter into the new year. Uh, So hopefully not too heavy. Um, Over Christmas, I've been rereading the Gospels. um, And it's really struck me how the Jesus we meet in the Gospels leaps out of the pages. Um, He isn't really namby-pamby at all. He's kind of hard-hitting and challenging. Um, He confronts hypocrisy. Um, And he tells the current religious leaders, you're actually no better than your forefathers. There's nothing different between you and them, and they murdered the prophets. Um, And they react, don't they, in a similar way to their forefathers with violence and hatred and murderous. Um, They appear outwardly really pious. Um, Their their insides aren't. They're really hard-hearted and they've forgotten the basics of what God requires of them. Um, They've kind of got into their traditions and their rituals, uh, their appearances, and these things have become far more valuable than actually what God is asking them to do, just the basic justice, looking after widows, caring for orphans, loving God wholehearted. They've been blatantly ignoring kind of the obvious scriptures. And it's really clear that worshipping in the temple or worshipping in church on Sunday is not enough. That isn't actually, God doesn't want us to go through those rituals. He doesn't want us to just plough on regardless, thinking that that is enough. The Jesus we see in the New Testament, he bursts out of the pages. He's like one of the Old Testament prophets of old. He's fearlessly proclaiming the truth, um, annoying everybody he meets. He's healing on the Sabbath. He's defying the purity lords. He's challenging authority. He's exposing injustice and self-righteousness. He's not just willing to go along with the flock. And in the same way, like as we reread the Gospels, and I hope that you will take time this year to reread the Gospels. They always kind of say, don't they, you shouldn't be out of the Gospels for too long, sort of thing. Or get back and see Jesus. That he really does break through and reveal what's really going on in our hearts. Um, You know, he speaks difficult truths to us, maybe we don't want to hear. But he invites us to go with him, declaring this freedom, this passionate, kind of radical, different way of living. That a lot of the time we don't want to hear. Actually, we do want to just sanitise Jesus put him in a little box and do our Sunday thing or our Tuesday night thing or whatever we do. And I know that I'm guilty of that too. The Jesus that we meet in the Gospels is not calling us to an easy life. He's not offering comfortable lives. He's calling us to sacrificial living that transforms the world around us. And we forget this so much. We're more than happy to choose safety and security every time. 
And Jesus teaches that his kingdom, the kingdom that he's proclaiming, is more valuable than anything. It's like a priceless pearl. It's like a good businessman seeing something so valuable that he sells everything he has to get it. And we trot on in to this valuable kingdom, forgetting what it's cost to get it. We often find, don't we, that as we go on in our Christian life, the more we have, the more we cling to. We don't want to let go of those securities. We might start our Christian life in a radical way and we're willing to lay down anything and do anything and we're, we're free. And then as life goes on, we gain mortgages and family and life becomes more tricky and we slowly start to cushion ourselves against any kind of risk-taking. But Jesus, you know, when we come, he invites us to give our all, to radically jump in with him and go and trust him. But that is a terrifying prospect the more we realise how much that could cost us. We know, don't we, we can verbally say we need Jesus to be our insurance policy. We need him to be our landlord, our family guidance counsellor, our career advisor, our marriage counsellor. But our trust can drift from God. We find ourselves completely crippled by the exact same fears we were crippled with before we knew Jesus. It's like Peter. We jump out of the boat and, yeah, I want to follow you, Jesus. And suddenly we realise we don't have a life jacket. And it's not so good anymore. This wild and crazy adventure is more than we've bargained for. And I just thought, you know, looking back at 2010, how many sleepless nights I have had personally. Worrying about the most ridiculous things of agonising and anxiety driving me to ridiculous things as I lose sight of who God is. And I know I'm not going to be an exception to the rule. We're all going to probably be in that boat. We've probably all had a night's sleep that we've lost when we worry about stuff and we take our focus off Jesus I've had to come and confess, I don't trust you, God, at all. Clearly, in this situation, I have no trust in you, because look at the state of me. I need you, God. And to confess that and ask him to build faith in me once more. So, as we leave 2010, I thought it would be good for us to take stock, to look back, to look at the examples where God had carried us, taught us, sustained us, provided, um, that we've grown with him, that we've learned something for the first time or maybe for the 400th time, where we've drifted maybe in our call. We know that actually we've been drifting a little bit in the past year. When Paul writes to the Philippian church, he reminds them that the race is real, that running with Christ is what it's about, to pursue it, to take hold of what Christ took hold of us for, to strain, he says, towards what is ahead. I'm not sure I strain very often, (laughs) just like, whatever. (laughs) We need to be moving forward, not drifting. 
And Paul also says, put behind you the past. So that is not just uh, the failures, but also the successes. So leaving them behind, okay, acknowledging what happened, but we've got a new year with Jesus, just like we have a new year, a new day every time with Jesus. Putting away, okay, we failed there, or we had an amazing success there. Let's leave that. We want to move on and grow with God. So I just thought we're going to play some music. We've got some sheets, pink ones. Um, Do we have any stewards today? No. Ah, we got some volunteers. (laughs) Okay, Martin and Wendy, there are some pens at the back next to Dave Gill. And if you could just potter up and down a little bit with them. If you're upstairs, there's a pen pot on the table just as you walk in the gallery so you can help yourself. Now, we're just going to do the first bit looking back, so don't jump onto looking forward. And you don't have to write anything. You can just look at it and think. You can talk to the person next to you. If you're the kind of person that needs to talk about stuff, talk. I know that I think better when I talk. I talk aloud, talk a lot of rubbish, but eventually I'll get somewhere. Okay? You might be like that. You might be someone who just says, actually, I don't want to write, I'm just going to think. That's fine. Or you might be a scribbler. that you say, I'm a doodler, I need to draw pictures, Louise, I need to think about this. You've got a little bit of time. Just don't rush. Just have a little think. What are we thankful for in 2010? Look at the places God has come through for us. And then maybe look at maybe where you've drifted a little bit too. Okay, I'll get off out of the way. So we've kind of been looking back and looking forward. And I guess New Year, we're generally looking back and looking forward, aren't we? Um, it's a time when I really like to get in my journal and I'll write what's happened in the past year and I'll write some kind of goals for the current year of what I want to see God do in my life and in my family's life and things like that and how I want him to change me and mould me and to really just commit myself again. And we might say that New Year's a time to renew our kind of annual subscription, as it were, to recommit ourselves to him. I mean, we've been looking, haven't we? Salvation is free, but we see that it's bought at such a great cost. Um, They say, you know, grace is free, um, but it's not cheap. It costs God everything, his son, as we've been reflecting. And Jesus says to us, come and follow me. Um, It's like he's saying, basically, look, come and die. You know, die to self, die to sin. Die to your will. The entrance is, as they say, free, but our annual subscription is everything that we have. And Jesus, uh, when talking with people who are wrestling with this issue, he said, anyone who doesn't give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. I mean, that is powerful stuff, isn't it? Everyone who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. And, you know, sometimes we are like a dog, I think, (laughs) with its head stuck between the bars with this big stick. And to be free, we have to let it go. 
You know, we've got to let go of our rights to say what we're going to do, where we're going to be, how we're going to live. We've got to lay it down and trust that Jesus is offering us something far better. But all too often we are clinging on, I know I am, desperately by my fingernails to try to control my life. Get it back in my control. But the freedom, let's look at some of the promises that are offered. In Romans 8 verse 1, we're reminded that we're free from guilt. There's no condemnation. You know, whatever's happened, whatever we've done, we have complete freedom. We're not condemned. Jesus has wiped our slate clean. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, we see that God gives us a fresh start. We're new creations. We get to start again. Isn't that amazing? And not just a, I'm going to give it a go sort of thing at being a better person. But Jesus has made us a new creation. We are something different to what we were. In 1 John 5.13, we're told that we have in Jesus eternal life. Yeah, eternal life is what is on offer. In Hebrews 13.5, we're told that we are completely secure in his love. Completely secure. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Philippians 4.19 we are promised that God will provide all our needs. All our needs. Not our wants. All our needs. Everything we need, God will provide. Philippians 4.13. We are promised strength in all circumstances. He will give us the strength that we need when we go to him. Like that song, strength will rise as we wait on the Lord. As we go to him. And get our perspectives put right. We see who he is. Strength will rise. Romans 8, 17. We're promised inheritance. We're adopted as sons. We're in the family. There's no getting out. You're in it. <laughs> John fifteen fifteen, Friendship with God. Pretty amazing. Friendship with God. And these are the things that are offered and we're clinging desperately onto what we have. Um, Oswald Chambers wrote, If you have to calculate what you're willing to give up for Jesus, never say you love him. Jesus asks us to give our best that we have to him, our right to ourselves. And I was thinking about this and I thought, actually... I like the quote, but we all calculate, we all wrestle with it, because, you know, we don't love Jesus as we should. It's a process, isn't it? Every day is a battle to lay down our rights, to keep laying them down. We can only really ask Jesus to help us, help us to see the beauty that he's offering compared with the rubbish that we have. You know, Paul said, you know, I consider all things rubbish compared with knowing Jesus. Wow, wouldn't that be great to consider all things comparatively to how great God is? They're just nothing. And um, 
I've been reminded this week again of, of what it says in Matthew 6 and verse 33. And when I first became a Christian, many a moon ago, um, I remember this verse came again and again and again in my reading. People gave it to me. It was everywhere. You know, to just let go, seek the kingdom first, and everything else is going to be okay. And how often I get distracted with the everything else and stop seeking the kingdom. But just before we um, kind of have another time of thinking, in Luke's Gospel, we see a really small, small incident recorded. In the middle of a massive clash between Jesus and the scribes and the teachers of the law of the day, right in the middle, when Jesus ultimately completely frustrated with them, he wants to show them that actually they're not giving God what he deserves. In the middle of this, we have a really humble lady appear. She is the picture of utter poverty. She is a widow. She has nothing. And she comes into the temple and she brings the smallest amount of money. It's called the widow's mite. It's the smallest coin that you could bring. And she puts it in. And it seems like it's nothing. But Jesus says that she has given more than all the others. She has given 100%. The teachers of the law, they spend hours arguing about how much they should give, what they should give, when they should give, getting it just right so they've exactly given what they should give. And she doesn't think about this. She just gives it all. And um, we're going to end before we kind of do the questions. We're going to watch uh, a DVD. And this has really impacted me. It's the testimony of um, um, a missionary working in West Africa. And it was in the early 20th century. So it's not that modern, but it's still a modern day example of this lady, the widow. Um, it's re- it is really moving. And um, when we've watched the DVD, when it's finished... Um, we can maybe have a little look at some of the questions about moving on. And on the back of the sheet, there's a prayer, which is John Wesley's prayer. And um, I'm not going to ask us to corporately say it, but it is a tough prayer to pray, but an exciting prayer too, if you get to the point that you can pray it.